0: Welcome back to another episode of the Property Experience podcast with Anna Porter and Nick Barlow. This podcast will take you behind the curtain of the property market nationwide.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Property Experience. Today, we are talking about the checks and balances all investors need to do before buying a commercial property. We have an exciting new format and an exciting new co-host, Nick Barlow from Suburbanite, formerly from Todd White Valuers. So. I'd love to know a little bit about your background, where you've been, what you've done in the property space.
0: Uh, well, thanks for having me on. Um, basically, yeah, I've been in property since I left school, so over 20 years. Um, you didn't I, feel
1: old, you now do. I don't
0: think what I think <laughs> about it. Um, yeah, went straight into property, worked for a couple of local agencies, did things like sales, um, property ma- um, management, commercial property management, residential property management, those kind of things. Uh, whilst I was studying um, at UTS uh, doing uh, property economics. Uh, following that, um, I launched into valuations where I worked at Harrington White for uh, almost 13 years uh, doing valuations for residential and commercial properties. Yeah,
1: fantastic, based out of Sydney?
0: Out of Sydney mainly. Uh, also did some work in Canberra and Wollongong along that time.
1: Yep, and had the commercial team working under you. So you had a few guys that were Reporting up to you, you were reviewing their work, things like that. So, fairly senior role there.
0: Yeah, my latter sort of five years at Heron Todd White was in the commercial division, and I had it ran a team of about five at the time um, in Sydney Metro. And uh, yeah, exactly. review their reports, um, manage the workflows, things like that, along with completing my own jobs, yeah. Right,
1: so it's probably not much you don't know about commercial. If you don't know about it, it's probably not a real there's thing.
0: Al- oh, there's always something to learn. <laughs> there's
1: always yeah, there's something to learn. And the market changes, right? That's probably the big trick. The market's dynamic and it's constantly changing.
0: Agreed. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, one thing I find really interesting about your experience, you've obviously got a degree in, in property, you've got many years working through the, the sector. Uh, do you see a lot of um, People coming out as property gurus or commercial property gurus that are just starting out in the sector. What 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 worries you about that, or does that worry you?
0: Yeah, it does. Obviously, property is always a hot hot topic. Um, it's the thing that people talk about at barbecues. Um, it's always in the media, in online, on TV, in print. Um, people own houses and live in houses, and they. Are always interested to see what something's worth, what someone paid, you know, neighborhood gossip, um, what their home's worth. And obviously, with the rise of uh, level of interest in commercial property over the last couple of years as well, um, a little bit of information is sometimes dangerous. You know, people read things in the media and they'll auto- automatically form an opinion on it. And that opinion may or may not be well founded and may or may not be be correct.
1: Yeah, and commercial is quite a complex sector, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of information that could be misleading that you don't get unless you order leases or speak to the right people, do the right due diligence. You can actually get the wrong answer really quickly if you don't know how to do it properly, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean,
0: when you're looking at a residential property, people will say leases for $500 a week and there's, you know, people work out a a yield based on that. There's also obviously outgoings, you know, your council rates, rates, your water rates. It's fairly simplistic in its approach in that respect, um, or easy to work out. But then when you're looking at commercial, there's all different kinds of terms and conditions. A commercial lease is, you know, probably 10 times as long as a residential lease. And it's got a variety of terms and conditions in there that tenants and owners have to abide by. Mm -hmm. Uh, And depending on how that lease is written and what style of lease it is and what kind of property it is, a tenant may be sort of interest, um, sorry obliged to pay for additional costs, like those council and water strata rates, even land tax on an owner's behalf or management fees, and every lease is different.
1: Yeah, and what are some of the biggest traps you see people fall into when they are investing in commercial? Where do they miss those pieces of information?
0: I think it's, um, like I read a lot of information memorandums that are presented by, by agents, and...
1: You're not about to tell me the agents don't tell us everything, are you?
0: Well, maybe. <laughs> Some are good.
1: Really? Some are better
0: than others. So yeah, but um, obviously when you're reading the information memorandum, they'll put in there the information that they want you to see and it's up to you to go and then find out um, more information and find out if that is correct and if there's any other hidden fees and costs that haven't been mentioned in there. A common one is management fees and owners might not be aware that that hasn't been calculated in, or land tax and things like that. Um, So when you're looking at that, you wanna be uh, aware of what you're getting into and what costs you will be Uh, up for as an owner.
1: Yeah, and what difference can it make to your cash flow? Like in real terms, have you come across one where it's made a significant cash flow difference for these sort of hidden costs, I suppose?
0: Yeah, huge. I mean, obviously um, strata levies is, you know, one thing that can vary a lot between properties. Uh, Land tax is huge. Um, If if it's land tax applicable, um, it will be a high cost to the owner. Mm Um, but that being said, a lot of properties with their land values actually fall below that. But it's just knowing whether or not you will be um, uh, sub- your property will be subject to that.
1: And I see that a lot. Like people will look for a property that they might see on the surface. It's a six or six and a half percent yield for commercial, which is you know your return relationship to your value. Um, and then once you start stripping back these costs, like I've sent a few said, oh, this looks really interesting. You know, I might say 6.3 yield. And once you do your digging and you go, well, once we take that cost into account and that cost that they didn't mention and that cost mm. and this, 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 this. And when I pull down the lease and read it, it can come back to like 5% yeah. really quickly.
0: Really quickly, yeah. And it's the same management fees. You know, you might be, Uh, management fees might be sort of five percent in metro and they might be closer to seven percent in regional so it's also an awareness of where you are
1: so if you've got Brian at the barbecue telling you, I've got a commercial property I bought the other month for 6.5% yield, you probably need to ask Brian a few more questions, like is that net, is that gross, is that semi-net, have you accounted for some things, not other things, well, he's about to get a surprise when he gets the bill.
0: <laughs> if he's already bought it, I probably wouldn't say too much. You know? um, <laughs> but
1: don't necessarily chase the rainbow of what he might be getting that you mm, may not achieve.
0: No, that's right. Everything's like, it's all... On face value, it looks good, mm. but there's obviously more to it.
1: Yeah. So let's say you're valuing a place that has multi-tenancies, four or five tenants, and you're going out and comparing it to other properties that have sold with also four, five, six tenants. Where are you getting your information from? Are you actually ordering leases and paying from them, from them and reading them? Are you doing checks on the tenants and the companies? Or are you just taking what you're being told by the agent as face value?
0: Um, no one valuation is the same. Um, you're probably not ordering um, company searches uh, for for the tenants for evaluation purpose. But, but if you're buying it, would you? If you're buying it, you would consider it. Yeah, yep. Or will
1: get the solicitor to even.
0: Yes, uh, yeah, that's right. For the subject property, yeah, definitely. Yeah, not maybe not for properties you, you're comparing it with, but for the subject property, yes, uh, you want to find out who your tenant is, especially if um, you've got five tenants and one of them is a is an anchor tenant or or a tenant that. So what does that mean as an
1: anchor tenant, generates majority of the rent? Well,
0: I mean, usually it's referred to as a a major, like, you know, an anchor tenant, someone that attracts um, people to that building or or complex. And it's usually used, say, uh, in a multi-tenanted, say, a shopping center where you're anchored by Woolworths or something like that. So more it's
1: an words. activator, a tenant Correct. that's a real activator. Okay? Correct. Because so I hear a lot of terminology out there Ooh. and I'm playing a bit dumb here because I'm trying to be the person listening to this that wants to understand what these terms mean because we throw them around. I mean, we've been in yep. valuation for 20 years. Thanks yep. for reminding me of that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe I started when I was 12? <laughs> um, but yeah, so that this is all stuff that people will use terminology, but they've got to truly understand what that actually means.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I suppose that's more institutional uh investments. I'm sort of referring it to it. If it's a, a smaller investment, say sub five million dollars, you've got five tenants. I'm just saying, if there's if there's a tenant that is responsible for say 50% of that income, you want to be really certain with that one because yeah. the others might change over a little bit more. Uh, whereas if that main tenant moves out, you've automatically lost 50% of your income in one hit. So you want to have a really secure lease in place and a lease tail, which is the length of time, or whale, which is the length of time remaining on those leases. Um, Options are are also common within commercial leases as opposed to with residential leases. And that basically means there's an option to extend the lease in the tenant's favour. So it's nice to have as as an owner, but it's for the tenant's benefit for them to either take that option up or not take it up and move out.
1: So now I'm asking a lot of questions around due diligence, which seems to be the topic where by default we're covering because Nick so, knows so much about this. Um, we we see uh, I've seen your due diligence reports when you put forward a property for a commercial investor to buy. They're about 60 odd pages. So I find them really good bedtime reading material when <laughs> I can't sleep. <laughs> but they're important, right? Everything yeah. in there represents something of importance. Um, so I suppose my warning to anyone listening is if you've got a professional consultant buyer's agent, Investment advisor, whatever that might be, working for you, that's giving you a six or seven-page due diligence report. It's probably not detailed enough if it's commercial, I would imagine. No, especially half of it's copied and pasted.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine that you know anything of that length is is uh, going to cover everything. Uh, you want to look at things like you know your zonings, um, obviously. Um, a big one at the moment probably is um, is flood overlays, mm, uh, yeah. which are accessible uh, online, uh, but you've got to know where to look and you've got to obviously check it. So um, that, that's a major one. And obviously uh, with recent flooding as well, um, that's a big impact on uh, insurance costs, which is probably another thing that we didn't mention earlier with regards to those outgoings. So your insurance costs, may or may not be covered by, by tenants um, and with the increase in those premiums, that can quickly erode that net income like we talked and about And that before.
1: can be a big range. That can be Massive. three or four thousand a year or 15 to 20,000 a year Correct. in some cases.
0: So you want to be getting a, a quote or a couple of quotes for insurance purposes.
1: And using insurer that specifically does commercial, not just a resi trying to figure out how they place that random policy.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, they're interested in where the property is, obviously what it's made of and the size of it and things like that, but also even the tenants, um, uh, the use and, and the tenant uh, business. So and how risky to, it is. Like correct. if it's
1: a kitchen, there can be kitchen fires. If there's runoff of oils and lubricants and things in yep. a mechanics workshop, they'll weigh all that into correct. the risk, won't they? Yep. And then also what it's made of, asbestos obviously is one that yep. can be quite prominent in commercial. You can get asbestos roofs, the old super six-packs um, that will be come at a cost for insurance because... There's a risk there.
0: Definitely. So, I mean, yeah, what you want to be doing is getting a couple of quotes beforehand so you don't get a rude shock at the end.
1: Yeah, excellent. And that would be before you have been in an unconditional contract because otherwise it's too late once you're in that unconditional contract. That's right.
0: Yeah. So
1: there's a bit of a process. It's not also just about doing due diligence. It's knowing what to do and when because there's a cost and a time investment, mm. but it's also making sure you get all the answers back before your contract is fully unconditional, otherwise you're in a world of hurt. Yep. So some of those key things is understanding your tenant, understanding where your rental income is coming from and how much it actually is in your pocket. Um, understanding the the use of the building and if it's compliant with zonings and things like that, environmental overlays. Um, what about things like and obviously the market vacancy periods yep. and rates and there's not yep. really a centralized database that says here's all your vacancy rates is there. It's not that easy for commercial.
0: No it's not um, but you want to be aware of what is happening in the marketplace and you wanna be uh, realistic when you're thinking about how long a property might be vacant. So there are percentages, vacancy rates, in terms of a percentage of what properties sit vacant as opposed to least. Um, but the actual uh, time that it will take to find a tenant um, will be dictated by the marketplace at the time mm-hmm. and the type of property. And then on top of that, as well, a common thing depending on the market conditions and whether or not uh, it's in it's a uh, in lessor's favour or, or tenant's favour, as opposed to, you know, we, you've got the strength of the market and in a market where there's a lot of vacancy, a tenant will have more negotiation power and they might negotiate a period of rent free as well. So it might take you six months to find a tenant and it might then be that you offer them six months rent free, so it's actually 12 months without rent.
1: Okay. And so those incentives are very common, aren't they, to give those rent-free periods. So you've got to count that into your period with no income. Yeah. So, and then fit outs as well can be common as well. So you might be paying for some of that fit out as well to get a tenant in, which could be costly.
0: It's usually one or the other, um, but yes.
1: Okay. So some of the things to consider there, so vacancy periods. Um, You know, four to six months wouldn't be uncommon, I'd imagine, Mm -hmm. even in a good market, you've got to go through a process of advertising. Legals take a month or two in themselves because you go to a solicitor often. There's a bit of a journey there. What's some of the worst ones you've heard? I know you talked about a physio a little while ago. How long was that vacancy? Walk us through that example as a case study. The,
0: The physio in Northern Territory, yeah, that was just near Darwin and the property was fairly modern, it was about six years old and it had a, ten- a tenant in there that was a physio and um, I spoke with the agent and it was quite an interesting conversation uh, actually because what happened was they, they had a five-year uh, lease on there and then they had... Uh, they actually occupied another space in the building as well so it all looked really good. And on, on paper, which on often paper, it does. <laughs> and then on further Is chats, it the agent's
1: job to make it look good on paper do you think? <laughs> 100% but
0: um, as, as we talked more and, and talked about the building and things like that what she actually divulged was that it was the first time it had been leased and after six years.
1: Six years. Wow.
0: So it had been vacant for six years. So whilst it looked great. And that great... wasn't that
1: regional, was it? Obviously the Darwin yeah, was... market is struggling. We don't invest there at the moment for this type of reason. But it wasn't a regional, regional property, was it?
0: No, it was pretty close to Darwin Airport. It was on the main road, um, on the highway actually. But yeah, the, the, the development had been, well, the, the building had been developed and, and then let up. However, it hadn't been fully occupied in that whole time.
1: Wow! So you know you could have your on paper tick boxes of something modern tick at a price point under seven or eight hundred thousand tick capital city suburban type area tick
0: depreciation depreciation
1: tick. Well, you get heaps of money back off tax if you don't have a tenant for a couple of years or six. Um, That's one way to (laughs) save on tax. Um, Current lease tail nice long lease tail tick medical style tenant tick
0: established business. Yep. They've expanded into this space.
1: Over six year, um sorry, over 6% yield, you think you said on that one? Oh yeah, easy. Yep. Yep. Tick, but, there's a big but, if you don't do that extra layer of due diligence, you would never know that when you lose that tenant, if you lose that tenant, not if, when, you could sustain another three, four, five, or six years of vacancy, because obviously there's something in the market that's not getting that take up.
0: That's right, and that, that property had actually been um, brought to me by a client who had seen it online and said, what about this? Yeah. And I followed it up and we discussed it and as soon as I told them about the vacancy period it was, they put a red pen through it.
1: But if you not asked, hadn't asked the extra questions, like a lot of investors don't, they go tick, 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 tick lots of ticks. Yep. And even if you had that tenant for the full five years, if you then had to sustain six years of vacancy, you've wiped out every you've single dollar you. you've made pretty yep.
0: much. Yeah, you've halved your yield straight away when you amortize it out. Yeah. So, and we also covered a, an important one there uh, was depreciation as well, because a lot of uh, due diligence documents or um, presentations on what a yield might be, uh, might include a depreciation benefit. Mm. So it's kind of skews what the actual net yield is, right. and that will boost a yield. And I've seen the same with commercial and residential investment properties where a buyer's agent or an advisor might present it um, or advertise it with a certain yield, but included in that yield is depreciation. And they come back with time as the building gets older. So it all looks great on paper like we said earlier over the first couple of years when you're getting those maximum depreciation benefits, but that will come back with time as well. So it shouldn't shouldn't really be included in your calculations of yield.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting because I think a lot of people are doing it that way. Mm. Um, Another question. So let's talk about when tenants break leases because it happens. It's commercial. You don't have the tenancy tribunal like you have in residential. You don't have those same safeguards like you have in residential. So your commercial tenant a year into the lease or six months into the lease says, I'm done. I don't want to occupy this space anymore and walks out and leaves all their crap behind (laughs) which is Mm. often what Mm. happens. Uh, what does that look like and how, as an investor for commercial property, can you actually protect yourself from that situation?
0: Well, there's obviously insurance and landlord's insurance, um, but at the end of the day, if a, if a tenant walks out and wipes their hands, a solicitor might be able to chase them up and f- follow legal proceedings, but quite often um, there's only sort of a one to, f- one to six month bond in yeah. place. Um, and if they've left stuff behind or damage and things like that, there will be costs involved with that and getting it back up to a, a, a lettable state. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might be able to advertise it for rent in, in the time that you're chasing up a previous tenant. However, if it's a company or something like that, a small business, they might just wind it up. Yeah. And they just wind it up and then they start a new one. So mm-hmm. it can be you, you can you can follow it up on that legal basis. However. Uh, there might be an economic point to it, how much do you spend chasing it? Yeah. Because you're obviously paying a solicitor to do that. So if you're able to recover or you've got the bond and then you're able to recover it by getting it leased out quickly, it may not be, um, the best course of action to, to continue that following up yeah. um, and chasing the tenant. But obviously it depends on what's at stake, how much were they were paying before, how long it takes you to get a new tenant in there. You Likely might just- good of actually
1: getting any money back if they've wound it up, it might not be worthwhile. That's right. I think as well what we see is a lot of people don't do their due diligence or their checks and balances on the actual lease itself. So if someone were to walk out, um, what recourse do they have? Is there make good clauses? So you can't actually make them fix things if it's not a requirement for them to fix things and make good on the property. To what extent does that make good clause um, you know, um, extend? Uh, things like is the bond actually been taken by the agent and is it being held? We see all all too often that there is no bond that's ever been collected. Um, So you know, what was the condition of the property going in versus exiting? So when they're self-managed, what we can see often is self-managed commercial assets, they don't do ingoing reports, they don't take photos, then it's he said, she said when the tenant exits, whether they exit in a lease period or at the appropriate time, at the end of their lease period. Oh, that was like that when I got here. Prove that it wasn't, prove that it was. So those things also need to be checked when you're buying as well to say, well, what reports do we have to show the condition of the property at the start of this lease versus when they leave so we can actually look at these things? Yeah. And these costs can be tens of thousands, like stripping oh, out yeah. air conditioning ducts, stripping yeah. out cooler rooms. Like we're talking big bucks here, aren't we?
0: Definitely. Yeah. I think that um, it's definitely worth... Um, having a professional agent to manage a property. If it has been, that's good, and you'd be able to speak to the agent in regards to and get a tenant ledger on their payments, um, what they are like to deal with as a tenant, um, if they're reasonable, all those kind of things. They're, again, things that you want to look at when you're acquiring a property because the last thing you want to do is buy a headache. Uh, I think having a, a property manager, professional property manager, uh, managing your property for you is a great idea The fees are not only tax-deductible, um, but they can deal with problems as they arise and take that worry away from an owner. It is easy to collect rent when a tenant's paying it and there's mm. no problems, but when a tenant doesn't pay rent or there's problems, you want someone that knows the leases, they know what they call the course of action to take. and they can take that worry or an element of that worry away from you. Another thing is to have, with regards to the the make good clauses and things that you mentioned earlier, is to have a solicitor's lease. You can get standard leases, but having a solicitor draft up a lease, which obviously comes at a cost, uh, might safeguard you or will safeguard you more than a stock standard lease. They can have more, more clauses in there, tighter clauses that protect you as an owner in the event that something unforeseen happens.
1: Excellent, great advice. My last question, um, i can make it my second last question. My <laughs> second last question, um, GST, how does that work when it comes to commercial purchasing?
0: So if a landlord is registered for GST, uh, a tenant will have to pay GST on top of their rent. Uh, all GST uh, calculations should be stripped out of any income. Mm-hmm. So if they say, uh they're paying fifty thousand dollars per annum you've got to work out whether or not or get clarification if that includes or excludes gst so you want to take gst out of any of your calculations um and they will pay that gst on top of a rental uh, which will be stipulated in the rent uh the lease
1: and on purchase you pay gst on a purchase if there's no tenant at the time of sale.
0: Correct, if it's vacant, bought with vacant possession, there will be GST on top of Which any commercial Which people hear as purpose VP. Purchase.
1: They'll often hear about VP when they're buying commercial property, and they might yeah. think, who's the VP? Who's the vice president huh. vacant possession? So a vacant asset attracts GST at 10% on top of your purchase price. Correct. So it's a big amount of money. If you're spending $2 million, yeah. it's a significant amount of money. It is. I couldn't tell you how many times, it's probably three times off the top of my head, I've had buyer's agents at other firms come to me and say, I'm buying this commercial property for a client and I've only just found out we're in the middle of signing contracts or we're down a path and I didn't know there's GST. Why is there GST? What's this about? I don't understand it. Can you explain it to me? Or can you help me get out of it? I can't actually well, get you out of yeah, it. Well, that's yeah, too,
0: that's too late <laughs> didn't when tell it's the unconditional. did um, And again, well. Scary. <laughs> someone advising, so providing that advice should, should know that. Um, it's. It would be worrying to think that it hasn't been raised by either them or their solicitor. Mm. Um, so you want a solicitor that's competent in commercial transactions. So yeah. I think their
1: concern was they're about to send it to the solicitor and the solicitor would raise it and the client would say, why didn't you tell me about uh, this? Why are right. we at this stage of the process? Well, maybe <laughs> then they
0: hadn't gone into <laughs> unconditional contracts, hopefully, but yes, you've got to have that amount of money set aside and you, there are GST concessions where you can claim it back, but you've got to have the money in the first place
1: and some buyers have their own businesses that they can put a lease through their own businesses and things like that. There are some structures that are legal and can work, but yep. obviously you talk to your solicitor about that. Yes. But the average mum and dad doesn't have a company sitting there ready to take up a lease on a commercial property no. randomly. Um, that will be more so a strategy that ties into your own business needs and yeah, things like not, that. Yep. So so there are some ex- exceptions to how that works. Yes. Yep. But again, a solicitor needs to look at the legalities and the practicality of whether that works and whether your business can sustain that additional rental. Correct. And what what that weighs up against with the the GST implications and things like that. So, okay, now my last question, Mm. Um, would you invest in commercial property yourself? And if so, what kind of commercial property, what would be your preferred asset class, location generally versus asset class?
0: I would, um, obviously with commercial, it's a, even though say you might look at a five or $700,000 property and compare that back with residential and go, well, that's affordable. There are obviously more costs involved. We've talked about the solicitor's leases. Uh, We've talked about the GST if it's vacant, but also commercial loans uh, require a higher deposit than residential loans. So there's, you, you need more cash sitting there for a commercial property acquisition. So yes, I would. Um, I would probably be more attracted to something in the industrial space. It is something that obviously has, there's been a lot of media talk about that in the last couple of years and it's resilience in COVID uh, as opposed to the struggles of a lot of office and retail. So Even
1: pre-COVID, there's just a lack of supply versus offices go up, get highly densified very quickly and there's more supply to market.
0: Well, that's right. And the work from home. You know, yep. has had a big impact on that. People are returning. There are some businesses, but um, I was I was speaking with a, a specialist leasing agent re- just recently about it, about the number of leases that now contain retraction clauses. That if a tenant was, for instance, to take up three levels of a of a, an office building, um, if they have a retraction of their business, they can then um, reduce their lease to just to say a single level.
1: Wow, that's interesting. And,
0: and reduce their footprint by mm, a third. Wow. And that's written into the leases. So and reducing
1: fully... your income by a third effectively, Correct. And, or two thirds.
0: Yep. And then you've got two, two out of three levels vacant as an owner, for mm, instance.
1: That's interesting. Mm. So industrial um, type property, more capital city metropolitan areas as opposed to regional would be your preference. Oh, or do you would. like regional? I would. Yep. Yeah. Metropolitan.
0: Obviously regional, again, uh well it can it can have a higher yield however you've got to be aware of that vacancy period so i'd probably tend to stick more to metro it's got infrastructure uh it's got you know close to airports close to highways accessibility there'll always be a need i feel for storage and industrial properties in metropolitan areas
1: and budget what sort of price point would you like to shop at if the bank wasn't an issue
0: (laughs) Uh, Open checkbook. Um, I'd probably say there's. I think there's a lot of value in the one to two million dollar range because the other thing, like, it would be lovely to um, have you know five million dollars to spend on a property. But I think even if you're at one and one to two, and you can acquire multiple, you're spreading your risk.
1: Five millers, more eggs, one basket. Correct. Um, And then under one, are you starting to compete with smaller time investors getting into lesser quality locations? Is that what starts to happen? You're getting into a less sort of sophisticated commercial marketplace?
0: You are. And there's a lot of owner occupiers as well, and they drive down Drive down yields yep. because they want to occupy it. They don't necessarily think of the income or earning potential because a lot of they're going. SMSF too, yep. where
1: people aren't as sophisticated. They go, I've yep. got money in myself, my new super fund. I'm going to go buy the place that I drive past on Tuesday because it looks nice.
0: Yep. Close to Ooh. home, you yep. know, all those kind of things. Yep. That I know I've it. I've got a
1: friend, she's a tenant, she can put her business in there, she makes buttons, things like that. Yep. Not
0: exactly. the most sophisticated
1: decision making process exactly. when it comes to this asset class.
0: And also, uh, The sub $1 million mark uh, is a lot more accessible now due to banks offering much lower interest rates, um, on par almost with with some residential rates, Mm -hmm. slightly above still. Um, So again, there's a lot of people with that access to that amount of money through either borrowing or SMSF or cash that they've taken out from another property sale.
1: So so in a nutshell, what looks good on paper could still be a constant mistake when it comes to commercial. You've really got to dig through the layers. Yeah, you
0: do.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Great chat. Now it's time for our special guest to answer three of our top burning questions on this topic. So first question. What should be included in a make good clause to protect the landlord?
2: Um, Hayden Bennett from Commercial Property Group. We deal in strictly commercial and industrial property throughout the St George and Sutherland Shire. Uh, all we do is commercial, retail and industrial transactions. So the make good question is something that comes up a lot with every deal we negotiate. With commercial contracts, every contract is different. Uh, We don't sit by a standard set of terms. So if a landlord wants a building repainted in three years' time, he wants it painted black, he has the right to obviously nominate that in the lease, and that's a commercial contract between the landlord and the tenant. In terms of some some basic terminology around make good, the word make good's pretty broad. We like to sort of refer to reinstatement clause is probably the better uh, term that we use here at CPG. Um, I'll give you an example. If, if a tenant's moving into a brand new office building um, or a brand new office, and, and that's got brand new carpet, brand new uh, paintwork, um, it's open plan. At the time of that leasing, a high detailed, ingoing report's taken and given to the tenant at the time of the lease signing. But t- commonly in that lease, we would use a term called yielding up the premise. The tenant has an obligation to yield the premise up into its original condition. So when it's brand new, it's really easy to understand. It's pretty clear that after a five year lease or a 10 year lease, if the premises needs to be yielded up or reinstated, the tenant is to replace the property into its original condition at the time of the lease signing. Uh, and that can be replace of carpets, repaint the walls, repair any damage to gyprox ceilings, um, to, to again, they use that term, reinstated back to its original condition. Now, not everything's brand new. Most of the commercial properties we deal with, they're they're old. They could be 10 years, they could be 30, 40, 50 years old, and they may have have had three or four different tenants in over the time where the argument would be, how do we determine what reinstatement is? So how far does that tenant need to reinstate the premises? For example, if the carpet on an office suite was fairly in, in decent condition, but it may be 10 years old, tenant's been in there for five, they've left, there'd be an argument around where do I stand as a tenant? Do I have to replace the carpet to new? Because the argument would be it wasn't new when I moved in. So sometimes in the negotiations, it's a lot of um, discussion between a landlord and a tenant around what the landlord's expectations are to reinstate. Most of the time, it's all fairly common sense and, and reasonable stuff. if if the carpet's been worn out and there's track marks or there's holes from where people have been sitting with their desk chairs common sense prevails tenants to replace the carpet and hand it over in terms of a commercial shop like a retail shop again it would go back to reinstating it to what it originally was at the time the tenant started so the owner would have an expectation to say take all your fit out out Give me back my shop if it was raw concrete floors i'd be expecting it to be raw concrete floors but again the tenant might have tiled it nicely and the landlord might make an exception to say i'm happy for you to leave the floors as they are because it was just bare concrete when you moved in so we don't need to have that form part of your overall make good um so again i probably just rely heavily on on having evidence of what the property was at the time of that tenant starting now we don't not everyone has the luxury of having that history for example it could have been a tenant that started five years ago they've sold the business it's a new tenant that's taken over the business they're in the property they were never there at the time that the property um, was originally leased so you've got to rely heavily on what records you hold as a managing agent or what records that owner's going to have to determine uh, what the premise promises was at the time that tenant moved in. So make good something that we, yeah, we deal with a lot every time we have a tenant coming up to vacate. And it is fairly high level and in-depth discussions with uh, the tenant and the landlord on working out expectations. Um, when, we, when we find out what owners' expectations are, then we try and have the tenant meet them, or we meet them in the middle at some point.
1: We also want to know how much should a landlord be charging for a bond for a commercial property
2: okay that's another great question and again being commercial you you get what you negotiate so not every landlord has has an expectations around what the bond number is here at cpg we commonly charge a minimum of three months uh, gross rent and gross rent would be it includes an outgoings component if the lease is paying outgoings. Um, and we also include the GST component as well. Um, with bonds, you, you actually can't take GST on a bond because the tenant can't make a, a claim on their BAS but we just negotiate a round number see unlike residential where it's pretty simple it's either four weeks rent or, or six weeks rent in commercial space it it's what you negotiate if an owner wants 12 months rent as a bond he can ask for that or his, she can ask for that or if they want one month they can to determine the level of bond that's appropriate as I say here at CPG three months is our threshold of, of the bond we want that's enough coverage that in the event the tenant defaults where they're more than 14 days in arrears, um, they, the tenant might be unfortunately not traveling well, the landlord needs to exercise their rights under the lease, take possession of the property and at least recover the outstanding rent and also have some coverage to cover some expenses that may that they may obtain on, on locking or locking that tenant out. Um, in terms of like looking at a tenant and working out because most simple, tenants don't want to pay a lot of bond, right? So every tenant in a perfect world, they want to pay the minimum, owners want the maximum. Um, Most tenants will obviously want to only pay one month bond or two months bond. We look at it as around what's the type of the property, uh, what's the the nature of the business and what impact are they going to do to that property? So, and again, on the application surface as well. So if we've got a lot of corporate deals we do, let's just say with like an ASX or a government uh, agency, they won't provide any bond. Um, they will try not to provide a bond and they won't provide personal guarantees. But as an as an agent and an owner, you're making that calculated decision to say, well, I'm not putting in a mum and pop business in a proprietary limited enterprise. I'm putting in an ASX listed tenant or a government agency or a cooperative. Um, One would think that they're going to fulfill their obligations under the terms of the lease. And you may not accept a bond because it's a known household name. And you're thinking, well, okay, I feel safe in having this business in there because they're credible. Everyone knows of them and they'll obviously perform well. Um, There could be we've had plenty of instances where we've had tenants that on an application, Like they on the surface, it appears they've got a great business, but on an application basis, uh, we've got copies of bank statements and we're we're really analyzing um, assets and liabilities and there's not a lot there to go by. In other words, there's not a lot of financial horsepower or backing, and they're about to sign on a rent for $100,000 a year in terms of a commercial rent. They're prepared to provide a personal guarantee, but again, behind them, they might not have any assets Uh, or anything for the landlord to give some comfort on or have some comfort. So that's where it could just come down to negotiation to say, look, based on the application that's presented, you know, we're happy to rent it, but we're going to need a bigger bond than three months. It might be a four month bond or a five month bond, or even for some instances, six months. Um, So again, I just keep highlighting the fact is you get what you can negotiate. Um, And also, too, it's a matter of the owner being comfortable with, is there enough security on on the lease for them to take um, a commercial view and a commercial decision to put that tenant in the property?
1: My last question is, what are some of the red flags when selecting a tenant to be aware of?
2: Okay, another great question. Um, I think from us, like from our experience here at CPG, we always find that the tenants that are really eager to move in ASAP, like they need it yesterday, that that for us is a red flag. It's like, what's the urgency? What's happened? Where are you moving from? Um, in, in our applications here at CPG, obviously we've got um, current premises that it's nominated that the tenant might be in. Um, we ask for obviously the landlords or the managing agents contact details to obtain a rental reference. Um, if there's nothing there, and this tenant's come out of the blue and they want to start now and the deal sounds too good to be true, well commonly that's saying, uh, yeah, it it could be too good to be true and therefore there could be a pitfall where why does this tenant want to move in so quickly, why are they prepared to pay everything up front, but behind the application there's some missing gaps there. The the red flags could be, has that tenant been evicted out of their current premises? that's one. Two, there could be a partnership dispute where it could be, for example, two business partners that own a joinery business, they have a blow up, one partner's leaving, he's trying to set up a new shop, and we're not getting all the information as a managing agent or a leasing agent. We're only getting half the story. So we're obviously trying to work out what's going on here to understand, is this tenant a viable and suitable tenant, or is something gone a bit pear-shaped on their other venture um which we need to be concerned and aware about so again i think when we get we get solid applications come through in terms of a tenant submits an application they provide copies of bank statements they provide references to where they've rented tenancy ledgers um evidence of obviously ownerships of property when we have a full application clearly it gives us a lot of confidence and be able to present that and recommend that to a landlord to say hey As your agent, we've done our due diligence. We've checked this this tenant out. We've checked, dotted the I's, crossed the T's. From our opinion, we recommend that we proceed with this tenant, but Mr. and Mrs. Landlord, it's your decision. If the application is empty, meaning that there's nothing there, that can be obviously a little bit of a concern and an eyebrow raise where we want to know who they are. Like, where are they moving from? Or it could just be a straight out new venture. Um, We we obviously get a lot of those that are coming through where it could be a a small 200 square meter factory unit. Um, Tenants come along, never rented a commercial property before, um, made an application, but there's nothing there. There's nothing to check. So that's again where you'd go back on your bond as well. It's, it's a matter of, okay, I've got this tenant. I wanna rent it out. They've provided me an application. There's not a lot there. There could be no, no ex- experience. There could be no previous rental references. Um, there could be no references full stop, but this business, this entity, or this person wants to start a business as a landlord. Am I happy to give them a go? Um, maybe perhaps I might meet them, get a feel for the lay of the land with one another and then make a commercial decision to say, yes, I'm happy to lease it to you, or no, this isn't gonna be the right fit for me. Uh, Thanks for your efforts, but I'll, I'll keep looking for a more suitable tenant.
1: Thank you for joining us on another
2: episode of The Property Experience. Stay tuned for more great content.